Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 27 Are you crying? Russell asks me. His voice is so gentle, so pained to think I might be in any sort of turmoil or anguish. I don't want to answer any more questions. I choke on the words. I didn't expect to break so easily. The agents turn and look at me. We need to go, Russell tells them. My wife is unwell. He doesn't wait for their permission, but stands me up, holding on to my elbow. My legs nearly collapse under me. Are you all right? He asks, worried. Do you need a doctor? Is there a doctor she can see? I think it's the stress. She isn't well. I hear the hint of panic in his voice, and that's when I crack. I let the pieces of my soul that I've tried so desperately to hold together all these years crumble to shards around me. She's in shock or something, my husband insists, and still it takes the men in the room several seconds staring at us before one of them says, I'll see what I can do. Russell is trying to support my weight, trying to keep me from falling to the ground, I can't stand the feel of his fingers clenching my arm. Can't stand the memory of Henry's grip on my body. Let me go, I shriek, only half aware that I'm yelling at my own husband and not a man who's been dead for ten years. I don't want to stay here. I want to leave. A childlike voice from the doorway carries over the sound of my hyperventilating. What's wrong with mommy? Is she all right? I don't process the child's words or Russell's answer. Someone's hurrying toward me. Seconds later, an oxygen monitor is clasped to my finger, a blood pressure gauge wrapped around my arm. Has she had anything to eat or drink lately? A voice asks my husband. Here, someone take my wallet and go get her something from McDonald's, he says. And I want to laugh at the thought of Russell ordering me fast food. My breath returns to me in short, choppy gulps. I want to pass out. I want to ignore the faces around me, the worried expressions, the shouted questions. She's unwell. I've lost track of how many times Russell has repeated himself. Unwell, unwell, unwell. My wife is unwell. The man has no idea. No idea whatsoever. Chapter 28 Jennifer felt silly for getting herself so worked up. Just because it was dark out, just because there was nobody out on any of the roads this late at night, she didn't have to create all kinds of spooky stories about her teacher. She blamed Shauna and Kylie and all their silly rumors about Mr. Green from all the way back in middle school. He'd kept the car running while he ran into the school to get whatever it was he'd left. Jennifer was glad the heater was on. 
First of all, she was still freezing cold. Second of all, it made her certain that whatever Mr. Green was here to do, it wouldn't take long. For a minute, she wished she'd asked if she could go inside with him, but she didn't want to make it seem like she was afraid to stay out here alone. She wasn't the same little preteen she'd been when she was a student in his science class so long ago. She was older now, far more mature. Now that her body had started to warm and her mind was no longer fixating on the problem of how to get herself home, she found herself remembering her evening at the party with Darren. She couldn't wait to see him at school on Monday. Maybe she'd even see him sooner than that. Her heart gave a little leap to her throat at the thought, and she immersed herself in playing out the various scenarios. Maybe she'd go to the mall tomorrow with Lisa and Shauna and Kylie, and he'd be there with his older brother. And they'd see each other and smile and break off from their respective groups and go ice skating together. Maybe Lisa would decide that she didn't want to be outdone by Kylie's party, so she'd throw a party of her own tomorrow night, and Jennifer and Darren would meet up again there. Maybe it'd be a total fluke where you knew it had to be God making things work out, and she'd run into him while she went to the grocery store with her dad to pick up something for dinner. For the first time in her recent memory, she felt truly happy. She was so lost in her thoughts, she gasped when someone flung open the passenger side door of the car. She gave a little jump, then let out her breath when she realized who it was. You scared me, she said with a giggle, a giggle that died on her lips the moment she saw his face. Something wasn't right. Something was terribly wrong. Get out of the car, he told her, and that's when she saw the knife in his hand. It was one of those dissecting tools she remembered from that frog lab that made her and Shauna both feel sick. Get out, Mr. Green repeated. Jennifer glanced once more at his scalpel and did what he said. Chapter 29 it's almost nighttime before we load the car to drive home, our bags in the trunk, and our flight plans forgotten. The kids are disappointed in their vacations ruined. Russell's decided not to tell them the specifics of the hijacked airplane. They know there was a problem with one of the airplanes, and that's why we're not going to see Grandma and Grandpa after all. What they don't know is that the same airplane that crash-landed in Detroit was the airplane we were seated on earlier today, that we were hours away from what could have been our deaths. Russell's mom insisted on talking to me when he called. She tells me I'm a prophetess, that I have the gift of discernment, that God saved our family by giving me divine insight into what was about to transpire on that plane. I didn't have the heart to tell her otherwise. Russell still thinks my emotional reactions today are all related to the hunch I got that something wasn't right with our flight. News reports have been filing in all evening. Apparently, the Detroit School District ordered an elementary school to be built on toxic wasteland. A few parents were upset enough they got up in arms, literally, kidnapping the superintendent's daughter to use her as a bargaining chip. 
tampering with the electrical wiring in the airplane laboratory to cause a fire. I still don't know all the facts. Not sure how many people died. The truth is, I don't want to know any more details than I already do. The kidnapped girl is safe now. I didn't realize how much tension I'd been holding in my body until I saw the news coverage showing her reunited with her parents. Does she know about me, I wonder? Will the federal agents who are debriefing her right now let her know that some unnamed passenger got off the plane and sounded the alarm? I'm not sure it really matters. I might have been right about her being a victim, but that didn't stop the plane from getting hijacked. Look, Daddy, it's Chuck E. Cheese, just like the one Grandma and Grandpa takes us to. I certainly can't imagine Russell being the type of father who'd let his children into a venue like Chuck E. Cheese. It makes me wonder if his parents are more lenient than he is. Or maybe Annie's referring to her mother's parents. Regardless, I'm shocked when Russell turns on his blinker and pulls into the parking lot. What are you doing? I ask. He shrugs. The kids are hungry. Squeals erupt from the back seats. Russell grins at me sheepishly. I wonder if I'm supposed to keep our family excursion to Chuck E. Cheese a secret from the congregation. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it. The children don't seem nearly as out of place as I feel. When they get inside, they hold their arms out expertly so the workers can mark their hands. I don't realize until Russell follows suit that adults are given the same kind of stamp. Indisputable proof that our family belongs together, I suppose. Russell pulls out two $20 bills and tells Betsy to get tokens and divide them evenly. Stay together, he gives as a final ultimatum, and the children race off. I blink, wondering if my husband's mind is simply reacting to the stress and shock of the day. Never in our entire engagement did I picture our family hanging out in Chuck E. Cheese. I want to ask him what the members of Gospel Kingdom would think, but he looks so happy I don't bring it up. Are you hungry? he asks, then shocks me again by ordering two large pepperoni pizzas. We wait for our food at an empty table, and he takes me by the hand. I'm so glad you were with us today. I'm so glad God gave you that warning and that you heeded it and got our family off that flight. I take a deep breath. On the wall behind my husband, robotic rodents dance on stage. The strobing lights are distracting enough. I'm surprised we're not all suffering seizures yet. Russell gives my hand a squeeze. You really are amazing, you know that? You probably saved our family's life today. I'm about to tell him. I'm about to tell him everything, but he isn't giving me the chance. That took a lot of courage, he continues, and I'll admit I was worried at first. I thought maybe you were having second thoughts about meeting my parents. The last couple days have felt a little... He leaves the thought unfinished. It's been kind of stressful, I admit. He nods as if I've just confirmed what he'd been wanting to say but couldn't. He squeezes my hand again and lets out a chuckle. For a minute, I thought you wanted off the plane to get away from me. I smile back at him, but 
I can't force myself to feel any joy or relief. There's so much he doesn't know. Betsy comes running up. Andrew's got a scrape on his knee and needs a bandage. Good thing I've got half a dozen in my purse. I may not be the world's most experienced mother, but I'm a fast learner. I hand Betsy the Band-Aid, tell her to wash her hands before and after putting it on, and the entire time my husband stares at me as if in shock. You're amazing, he says. You really are. I see you with the kids. I see how much you love them. What a great mom you are. And I realize just how blessed I am. I thank God so much for bringing you into my life. I want to ask him about Sarah, want to ask if he thinks I'll ever come close to being the wife or mother she was. I want to ask if he sometimes has doubts too, if he wonders whether or not we should have waited before getting married so quickly. I want to ask if he has second thoughts. But I don't. I'm thinking about that girl from the airplane, wondering what it will be like now that she's been returned to her parents. The good news, if you can call it that, was she was missing for less than 48 hours from the time of her abduction. She beat the statistical odds. Lucky her. What are you thinking about? Russell asks. I picture myself telling him everything, just opening up my mouth and vomiting out the truth. I'm thinking about the man who kidnapped me. He held me trapped in his basement for two years, and then I caused him to have a heart attack when I accused him of murdering his daughter. Oh, he didn't murder her, by the way. She was killed by a schoolteacher who beat her and drugged her and left her on a football field for dead. But the police figured that part out later. By then, Henry was already gone, and I'm the one who killed him. The words are so close to the tip of my tongue, I can nearly taste them. Can I tell you something? Immediately, I'm interrupted by the worker who comes with our food. Our children must have pizza radar. They're swarming the table in seconds, and it seems almost as quick until they're gone again, leaving half-eaten slices and tomato-stained napkins in their wake. I should warn you they have monstrous appetites, Russell says with a grin. This time, I manage to laugh but the sound is hollow and unconvincing. He holds my hand gingerly in his. I wonder if Sarah took the kids to Chuck E. Cheese like this, if they ate pizza like this, if he held her hand like this. You're so beautiful, Russell breathes. Have I ever told you how blessed I am to have you in my life? He sounds so sincere. I can feel the love he's pouring into my soul at this exact moment. Our relationship might not be the most conventional, but the love we have for each other is real. I'm not sure I ever realized that until this very moment. I think about Russell on the airplane, how he didn't question or complain when I told him I needed off, how he stayed by my side when the agents were asking me questions, how he did everything in his power to try to comfort me when I was falling apart piece by piece in front of him. I'm blessed to have you in my life too, I assure him, then clear my throat. The setting is far from idyllic, 
The music is way too loud. The stage rodents are still dancing just a few feet away from us. Any second, one of our children will come running up and interrupt our conversation. But if I wait for the perfect time to get it all out, it will never happen. There are two things I know right now that I love Russell more than anything, and I trust him. It's time for me to make things right. There's something I've been meaning to tell you. I test the words, noting how they taste in my mouth. I admit that I have no idea how our conversation is going to go after this. I don't know if Russell's going to be hurt that I didn't tell him sooner, or if he'll jump into fix-it mode like he did at the airport and try to figure out what he could possibly do to take away the pain of my past. He might be angry, might yell at me, demand to know why I kept something so huge a secret from him. But I do know his love for me will never change, and that conviction gives me the courage to grab hold of his hand and look him in the eyes. My gaze doesn't waver. Something happened to me when I was younger I never told you about, I begin. He looks startled, surprised, perhaps even a little nervous. But the love and protectiveness I saw earlier is still there, shining even more brightly as flashing lights and deafening music surround us and blast our senses. I take a deep breath, wondering if he can feel the way my hand shakes. Russell thinks I have some sort of divine intuition. His mother calls it the gift of discernment. I certainly don't claim to be a prophet, but I suppose there are certain things I just know even though I can't explain why. What I know right now is that even though what I'm about to tell Russell will surprise him, even though it will be incredibly hard for him to hear, God is going to use this conversation to make our relationship stronger than it's ever been before. The reason I reacted like I did at the airport, the reason I could spot that girl and why I was so upset afterward, wasn't because I've got some magical gift from the Lord. It's because I was kidnapped as a teenager. The truth pours out from my mouth, there's no more lights, no more noise. Even the children have been infused with the miraculous ability to entertain themselves without coming to interrupt us. It's just me and Russell, us and the painful secrets of my past. I tell him about everything. Henry's basement, the night he died, his daughter's murder that went unsolved for so long. I'm sorry. I conclude, and for what feels like a lifetime, my husband remains completely stone-faced and silent. Why are you apologizing? He finally asks. For not telling you sooner. I wanted to. I just, I couldn't talk about it. I thought I was over it. I thought I'd moved on. I just, I take in a choppy breath I'm so sorry I lied to you. I nearly choke on the words. But you deserve to know the truth. Russell gets out of his seat then, comes over to my side of the table and kneels down just like he did the night he proposed. You're the woman I love, he says, 
You're the woman I chose to marry. You're everything to me. I shake my head and pull my hand free to wipe away my tears. I'm not who you think I am, I say, choking a little on the words. He reaches his arms out toward me, wraps me in a strong, protective hug. You're everything I've ever needed or wanted, he whispers. You're everything to me, too, I answer back. And I realize then that that's the perfect truth. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Sky series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Sky series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.